Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Today, we're going to end this sermon series A-OK. I told you when we started, I said, listen, I think hope's important. I think our world needs it. I think it starts in here. If we get hope, we're gonna be able to share that with the world. So let me build you a foundation of hope. We call this the four A's of okay. I told you number one, uh, you can have hope because you've been uh, adopted into God's family through Christ, what that looks like. Then we talked about how you, your, your life has been authored by God. Last week, we took a look at how your life is, you have an advocate in your life. And today, I wanna talk to you on the topic of how God is our ally. And so listen, uh, this, is, this, this sermon series is not about you um, being in a situation in your life where God is asking you for some level of participation and you getting out of that level of participation and kind of just sitting back and letting him do his thing because there's times in your life where God is going to say, hey, I want to do this in your life, but I can't do it without you. Like, let me give you an example. How many of you have teenagers in this? I just talked to, how many of you have teenagers? Teenagers, come on, put your hand up. You have teenagers. How many of you, uh, as, as parents, go to the store weekly and put food in your house? Anybody? How many of you think that's one of the most um, never-ending chores in the world? Anybody have a heart attack when you go into Costco? You check out, right? You're like, it's What? You're pulling out one, you're, you're like literally, you're calling up, I'm gonna sell myself a kidney, I gotta do something to pay for this. Then you get to your, your, your trunk, you put the food in your trunk and you look at it, you think that's it? Right? How much was that toilet, right? Like how much? And so you look at it, you do that, okay. And then you get home and in my house, we typically do this on Friday. And so we go, we go to Costco on Friday and you know, Friday, Saturday, Costco, not that fun. And so we go to Friday, kids are at school, we come home, we carry it all in, we unbox it, you know, we got, we got different areas for our food, we got refrigerators in our house, we got three refrigerators in our house right now, and so we got a refrigerator for drinks out in the, in the, in the garage for home, teen home group, we got a refrigerator in our basement for extra food, we got refrigerators everywhere, we got cupboards everywhere, we got, we got a pantry, right, we got, we got stuff everywhere, anybody, and so we, we, we go, we get it all stocked, we put it in, and then my kids come home from the weekend, and they'll be like, they'll say stuff like this, they'll say stuff, I'm so hungry! Right? I'm so hungry. And then they say, one of my favorite things they say, well, I actually want to kill one somebody's when they say, there's nothing to eat in the house. <laughs> right? Anybody? You remember doing that when you were a kid? Listen, I, I did that all the time when I, when I was a kid. My dad and mom should have punched me right in the throat. Just bop, right? Now, nothing to eat in the house. I'm so hungry. And oftentimes when they say they're so hungry, especially on a Saturday, because on Saturday sometimes I, I just, I, I don't want a parent. Like I just, you're 14, you're 16, you're 10, there's food there. We bought stuff from Costco. You can heat it up in the, in the, in the microwave. You don't want to be, use a microwave. You can use the microwave oven, pick whatever one you want, right? Like just get, we got hot pockets. We got, we got, we got all, like just make something. And, 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 and it's like, I'm hungry, but I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Can we just order a pizza? Can we just do this? Can we just, there's no food in the house, right? And so sometimes when, when you're in, in a situation with God where, you, where you're asking him for something, he's, been, he's like, dude, I already, got, I already went to Costco. I gave you everything that you need. You just got to stick it in the oven now. Right? Like, you're like, I need a financial breakthrough. God's like, I've given you a job. I've given you a raise the last three years. You've consistently not been generous. I don't know how much more breakthrough I can give you. Like there's times where you have to participate. This is, this is not the message I'm talking about where I'm like, okay, God's gonna do this, but you need to do this. What I wanna talk to you about is the moments in your life where something happens in your life. There's, it's jolting almost. It's like the weather in Oklahoma, right? You can, it can be beautiful all day long in Oklahoma in the middle of June and May, right? Beautiful all day long and, and on a turn, right? There could be a level five, stage four, mile wide tornado come through. Like it's beautiful and hell just starts falling, right? This, your life is good, your life is going great, your life is peaceful, and then all of a sudden, 
this jolt happens in your life where it, you don't know what to do. You ever been in a situation like that? You don't know where to turn. You don't know what to pray. You don't know who to talk to. You, you don't know how to react in those moments. It could be a disease that you got. It could be a, a loss of a job. It could be something breaking in, in, in your house. It's something that you look legitimately you didn't plan for. You don't know what to do. You've exhausted all of the, the, the things you could do spiritually. You've read every Bible verse, yet you still don't know how to, how to respond, how to act in those moments. Ever, anybody ever been in one of those moments? Like it's, it's out of your, your pay grade. What do you do in those moments? Well, the Bible talks about how God is our ally. He will fight for us. Sometimes he'll fight with us, and sometimes he'll fight for us. Watch what it says in Scripture. All the time it says this. Exodus 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be what? You see that? What does it say? That's a good word. I don't want to do that. I want you to come fight with me, maybe be my bouncer, right? But I don't want to get in a situation where you ask me to stay still. Says it again in Deuteronomy 20, says, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. So what I want to do is I want to take you into a story in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So if you're not a Bible person, Chronicles is all the way back towards the front of the Old Testament, and it is basically a historical book documenting uh, the life of the kings of Israel, the kings of Israel. And so um, I think of Chronicles of Narnia when I think of Chronicles. That's kind of what I think of. And so uh, it's a story. And in, in, in the Chronicle, the book of Chronicles, you have um, good kings, you have bad kings. You have kings that, uh, that put God first, and you have kings that forget God. You have kings that go to God for wisdom, and you have kings that go to, to man for wisdom. And they would rise and fall. Some of them would be kings for many years. Some of them were kings just for a few years. Some of them had, had built a great kingdom and a dynasty, and some of them, because of their, their lack of wisdom, the kingdom would suffer. So I want to introduce you to one that kind of had his highlights and his lowlights. I like him because he is very relatable to us. He has moments where he's on cloud nine, and he has moments where it's like, dude, what, what are you doing? So this is one of those moments, his life is, 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 is going in the direction that it's supposed to go. He's uh, living with, with his eyes focused on God, he's looking to God for wisdom, he's trusting God, stuff is going well, he's, he, he's leading his people towards God, and sometimes even when you're doing all the right things, you walk into a situation that is jolting. Like this is, a, I want to just, just because you follow God doesn't mean your life will be easy. Can you, can you track with me? I hate this for people, especially in America. J just because you start coming to church doesn't mean your life will automatically be breezier. In fact, I would argue when you start coming to church and you start aligning your life with God, you become an enemy of Satan and a threat to his kingdom, and so he's going to throw every attack at you that he possibly can. Are you tracking with me? When you're with him, you're not a threat. You're walking with him. He's cool with you, right? When you become a threat, he wants to start attacking you. So some of you have wondered, hey, I started going to church, and uh, I thought this whole God thing would make my life better, and it's gotten worse. I've lost friends. Uh, something broke, right? My dishwasher's not working. I started following God, right? And I got to hand wash my dishes. Like, what? what's going on? So this is Jehoshaphat. Now, if you're a Bible person, uh, there's, there's, here's Jehoshaphat in relation to other Bible characters you would know. And so he's a king. Um, his great-great-great-grandfather was David. And then his great-great-grandfather was Solomon. He had, some, he had some very popular, famous family members. So Jehoshaphat starts to, to reign, starts to rule. Kingdom's going well. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, he gets this report. The Bible says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Mennonites came to wage war. I'm just kidding, it says Mennonites. Wage war. You know those Mennonites. Wage war against the Jehoshaphat, right? And some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in uh, Hezizan Tamar, which is Engadah. He says, okay, everything's going well, and then... Nothing's going well. You're not prepared. 
uh, you're not structured, you don't have the, the right amount of military, you haven't gotten them in, 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 their, in, their, their, in their strategic places. Hey, it's too late, they're already too close. We just want to warn you, there's a massive army coming to, to attack you. How many of you in this moment are going to be freaking out? In fact, the Bible uses this word. I love it. If you go to the next word, I, I love the Bible. Um, it says, verse number three uses this word, alarmed. Such a PG word. He's alarmed. Right? If you think about your life, you're at the doctor and you get a report of a disease you didn't know you had. Like legitimately, you were completely, completely healthy. You don't have any, any signs of it. Um, you're planning a vacation. you got all this stuff. Five, you're about to retire. All this stuff's about to happen. And you're at a doctor and uh, unannounced, they find something in your body that's, that's stage four. Like it's really bad. In my story, it would be alarmed. That's a PG word for, for, for saying, freaking out, yelling, tears. I mean, he's just sitting on his throne, minding his own business, drinking some wine, being godly, right? Like, he's just chilling, right? And all of a sudden, out of the blue, this massive army, these, these countries have combined forces, and they're on the attack. And the Bible says that he's alarmed. But I love what it says next in verse number three. So Joseph resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And so he's like, okay. Something bad is, is happening, so here I'm going to resolve to go to, to God, and we're going to all fast together, which, by the way, um, the majority of American Christians, when do they fast? Do you know? They fast January 1st. It's not called a fast. What's it called? I'm fat. I'm going to do a fast. I'm going to ask God to intervene into my bad decisions over the last two months, right? This is a real fast. What's a real fast? A real fast is me going, I am in desperate need of the presence, the power, and the answers of God. It's deeper than just physical. It's, a, it's an awareness that there's, there's things that happen in your life that are bigger than just you. So he says to his, his people, I don't know what else to do. So nationwide, we're going to call a fast and we're going to inquire of the Lord. And I want to show you what he does with his people. Because this is so important the next time you get into a moment where, where you're going to panic, right? Because that's the word for alarmed, it's panic. Panic is about to set in. How you go from panic back to peace. What, what are the steps to get through something like this? Let me just give you a few thoughts. Number one is this. The first thing he did is he resolved to stay at the right place. He stayed at the right place. Why? Because panic has a way of pushing us away from God. Panic sets in. We start running around. The army keeps coming. Let me ask you something. Does your panic, does it kill or, or get rid of the actual threat that's coming? You're just wasting time. You imagine if they started all panicking, running around, freaking out, going into the house. It didn't stop the armies coming. So, so many times we, we, we get in a situation like this and we just, we just panic. We, we don't stay in the, right, in the right place. And so uh, I started thinking about this. So Halloween is coming, right? I asked for a service what, or what the next holiday is and they said Thanksgiving because they're Christians, right? And so, <laughs> but if I ask 1130 service, they're going to say Halloween. I'm just, like, they're going to say Halloween. And so how many of you know Halloween's coming, right? And so listen, I, I, I'm not, it's just not, don't, 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 don't send me emails about talking about Halloween in church. I don't want articles. I don't want all that stuff. I grew up in church. I know it's bad. I also know churches, even though they know it was bad, had fall festivals, which was just Halloween in church. <laughs> we can't trick or treat because that's the devil's holiday, but we can dress up like, like Moses. No, Sam, you can't be Adam. Put clothes on, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to do trunk or treat. That's fine. If you want to all hang out together on Halloween, I want to go be a light to the dark world. So I'm, I'm going to go get Superman or Batman or we're not going to go get a witch or nothing like that. And don't send me a thing about comic books being from Satan either, please. Something like that. And we're going to go out. And we, we, we've been out every, every trick or treat for the last decade. We walk up and down the same street. If you're from Phoenix, well, I can tell you what street it is. They got the good candy. And so and, uh, we meet people and we talk to people. And it's, it's, to me, it's one of the best nights of the, of the year. You're just hanging out. There's no, you're not buying presents. You're not exhausted. You're literally just going out and meeting your neighbors. And by the way, the Bible says to love your what? Okay, so if you don't, listen, your neighbors are not sitting here right now. This is your family. There's a difference. Where are your neighbors at? They're not here right now. 
Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so I just, like first service, I just warned them multiple times. Don't send me email. I'm not going to read it. And so, right? And so, so Halloween's coming up. Now, let me tell you one of the things I hate about Halloween. I don't get the, the desire to want to be scared. I don't want to be scared. I don't want to lay in my bed at night and look at a shadow and have to pull my covers up as a 43-year-old man and make a little thing around my nose so I can breathe and fall asleep, right? You know what I'm talking about? I, don't, I, I want to sleep good. I don't want to worry about Satan being in my room or Freddy Krueger, nothing like that. But some of you love to be scared. You love to watch horror movies, all that. I don't, I don't get it. There's a spiritual side to it. I don't think you should be in like, just stay away from it, right? But every scary movie, we've all seen a scary movie, right? Everybody's seen a scary movie. Every scary movie you've ever seen, there's a monster and there's a group of kids. And the monster shows up and all the group of kids have to do is stay together and leave. What, what do they do? The plot of every horror movie. The monster shows up, the teenagers are scared, and their plan is what? Let's separate into this scary house and hide. <laughs> and wait for him to come kill every one of us, right? Like you could, it could end after 20 minutes. Just get in your car and leave, right? And I just think this is so, so many times this is what we do. We, we get into a situation, it's stressful, it's, and we, we, by nature, we isolate ourselves, we run, we try to handle it our, our, ourselves. That's why last week I told you, I said, hey, the Bible talks about how Satan comes around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Now, I'm not, I'm not a, a naturalist, like I, but I watch a lot of, of, of animal documentaries on TV. I, don't, I watched one where this grizzly bears ate this dude this weekend, so like, I, I'm... I'm very, like, I like that stuff. And so, like, I've watched lions and how they hunt. And so, you ever watch how a lion hunts antelope or something like that? Like, they'll chase, they'll chase this big group of animals, right? And if the animals would all just stay together, the lion wouldn't be able to get any of them because they're all together. But what the lion does is he gets to the back of the, of the, the animals and he finds the weak one that's struggling and he gets them to turn right or left. And as soon as they turn right or left, if you're watching National Geographic and you're like, no! Stay with your friends, right? And what happens next? The lion's eating them, right? And so he says, be on your guard. Be, be sober-minded. Watch out. Your enemy, he, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to, to devour. And so I want to show you what he does, what Jehoshaphat does in this, because it's so important. Second Chronicles chapter 20, they fast. And then the Bible says, the people of Judah, what does it say they do? Can you bring that up? Can you bring that up? The people of Judah, can you see that next, that next word? What does it say? No, no, can you actually say it like you're supposed to say it for me? What does it say? We can't even say the word together together. <laughs> Let's try it again, right? The people of Judah, there you go, look how, look how awesome that sounds when you do it together. They didn't all go to the house, think about themselves, figure out themselves, get in the shelter, hide out, right, you know, get, get their house in order, okay, we don't know what to do. The Bible says they all come together, and they come together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham to your friend? I, I love this part, by the way. You think he's trying to remind God of his godness? What he's doing is he is proclaiming the truth of God's power over, over his people through their history, reminding all of them of the power of their God. Could you imagine if all I did is come up here and read articles off of Google that I found? Yeah, I found this article on Google this week. Who's the author? I don't know. Can't even pronounce his last name. He's from India. And then a year later, I came back and I read it. You know what? Actually, that article was probably wrong. I got this. We, like, when, when we stand up here, the only reason anything that anybody who, who stands here, anything is significant, is because we're proclaiming the unwavering, incorruptible power of God's word. It's unchanging. And so what he's saying is, hey, everybody here, 
let's remind ourselves as we celebrate this powerful God of all the things that he's already done. He goes on to say, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague of famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out in our distress and you will hear us and you will save us. Listen, if this is, this is coming, we're going to stay right here and we're going to cry out to you in, in this place and you're going to hear us and you're going to rescue us. When's the last time you said that in church? I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying all three services until you hear me and you rescue me. I'm going to listen to this chump preach three times. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm showing up on Monday. I think they're open. Hey, can I come to church? And I'm going to sit right here with my AirPods on and listen to that God problem song. And I'm going to stay here till you hear me and you rescue me. You see, the problem is so many times we run. I remember I talked about tornadoes. So I have a lot of, I lived for a few years in Oklahoma. And so the weather there is crazy. And so um, that's why I, I, I love Pennsylvania. There's nothing bad here. It's just, it's just kind of mediocre all the time, but nothing is that bad, right? And so, right? Like we don't have hurt, really hurricanes, and we don't have earthquakes, just minor ones, just every one. Don't, I, I know we have them a couple times, but we're not like California worried about falling off into the ocean, and, and uh, there's, not, there's not tornadoes, right? And so I remember my, one of my first experiences were tornadoes. I was a 22-year-old, and uh, it was my first year living in Oklahoma through tornado season. And uh, in, in Oklahoma, they can tell you, on te- so here they'll be like, hey, there's a tornado warning. You're like, what is that? What does that mean? Where is it at? In Oklahoma, they'll say, hey, listen, if you live at this house in this, you know, neighborhood, at, and you have a red door, that tornado will be there at 831. I'm, I'm, you think I'm, I'm not. You can literally sit there and you can watch. All the streets are, in, are in like cross, cross streets. They're all squares. It makes sense, right? And so Pennsylvania probably should have figured that out when they built the roads. And so everything is cr- And so they'll tell you, like, hey, so I remember I was living at Memorial. I was living on Memorial Drive uh, um, in Oklahoma City, my first job. Me and my wife were, were, were newly married. Um, we had a puppy. We weren't supposed to have a puppy in our, in our, in our apartment, but we did. And so uh, we had a puppy, and this tornado was coming through, and they said, hey, it's going to be, it's going to be a memorial and like our apartment at this time. So most of the time when you know it's, it's coming, you're supposed to take what? Shelter. We didn't do that. We got in our car. We had a, we had a silver Honda Accord, a reliable, mature car. <laughs> we put the dog in the car, and we got on I-35, the highway, and we began to drive away from this, this tornado and uh, it followed us, right? Uh, um, I remember we were driving, it's a true story, and a transformer on the side of the road just went, it was, it was like the movie Twister just went, blew up, we're driving, I'm swearing, we're driving, right? We finally get out from it, and I, I remember thinking to myself later on, because years later as we lived there, we realized we gotta get some friends that have a shelter. And when you see that a tornado's coming, what you should do is not run from the tornado, what should you do? Get in the shelter. I remember even in that, uh, Leah was going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I think Jesus was saying, bro, I'm back in the shelter. What are you doing? <laughs> like that, that's why in, in Psalms 91, what does it say? It says, it says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The problem is we don't like to rest. We don't want to be still. We don't want to pause. First thing you've got to do, next time you get into a situation where you're alarmed, man, stay in the right place. Let me just give you two more thoughts. Number, number two, keep the right perspective. Keep the right per- perspective. Watch what it says in 2 Chronicles 20. This is, this, is, this is one of my favorite parts. He says, but now here are the men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. I love this part because what Jehoshaphat is doing, he's blaming God. <laughs> you see what he says? We moved into this territory and you let us kill all these other people and take over the territory, but you let them stay here. What he's really saying is, hey, these people are your responsibility. What if the next time you got into a situation that was bigger than you, you realize it's not your responsibility? See, some of you are so anxious because you're carrying around a God-sized problem. 
You're, you're trying to face something that's bigger than you. That was never your responsibility to handle on your own. You're, you're trying to figure out answers. Some of you type A, Excel, Excel spreadsheet this thing. Trying to figure out best case scenarios, trying to figure out easiest routes, trying to figure out the statistics. Some of you like statistics class. I don't know why you liked it though. And you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way for me to get around this and figure this out? And God is saying, listen, this is not your responsibility. Your job in this situation is to stay in the right space and the place and to have the right perspective. Watch what he says in verse number 12. He says, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I don't know what to do, so what, I'm, what am I going to do? I'm going to keep my eyes focused on you. One of the, one of the most uh, practical connecting stories to this is in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus sends his disciples on a boat into a storm. You ever read that story? Why does he do that stuff? I don't know. Ask him, right? Like, get in the boat, float to the other side. What are you going to do? I'm not going out there. It's going to be a storm. They get into the middle of the water. They're freaking out. They're alarmed. They look out onto the water. They see a ghost. They think, that's a ghost. Who is that? And Peter goes, I think that's Jesus. Jesus comes walking towards them. Can you imagine this scene? And uh, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, hey, if it's you, right, if you tell me to walk on water, I'll do it, right? You got to be careful what you tell God. (laughs) I remember being younger, being like, you can use me wherever you want to use me. God, you can take me right? I'm very careful with that now. Like, I'm very ready. Like, God, you can send me to any part of the world you want. I'm very picky with his call in my life, right? I don't want him to send me. I want to stay right here. God, this is a mission field. I'll be taking him stats of the, you know, like, this is where you need me, right? And he says, tell me to walk. And the Bible says that Peter, he starts to walk on water, and he's walking towards Jesus. He looks around. He freaks out. He sees the storm. What does he start doing? You guys know what he does? He starts to sink, the Bible says as soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus, he, he realizes I'm in a situation bigger than myself. You see, the problem with so many times in our lives is we take our eyes off Jesus. Like we'll say stuff like, oh yeah, God is good. We believe that, right? But at the same time, Jesus said in John, life is hard. Just because life is hard doesn't mean God is not what? The Bible tells us God is good. He's in control. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's the God of the impossible. What is our job in the middle of every situation that we face that's bigger than us? If we want God to fight for us, we got to keep the right perspective in our lives. Let me just end with one more. Number number three, keep the right perspective, stay in the right place. Number three, get in the right position. Get in the right position. Watch what it says in 2 Chronicles 20. The prophet said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, This is what the Lord says to do. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, it's God's. Tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. You will not have to fight this battle. He says, take up your Position, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. So here's the thing. How many of you, huge Phillies fans, how many of you know baseball is a game of inches? Right? It's it's literally, one of my favorite parts of baseball is watching them, if you go to a live game, watching every player get in a a certain position for every batter that they face because they study them and they know that the position matters. And so I want to explain to you the correct position in your life because I think this is the most underrated tool that you have as a believer. And the reason I think it's underrated is because every week, many of you miss it. Week in and week out, historically, tell me what time church starts. Everybody, what time church start? What time? Come on, tell me loud. I want you to know this. This is important. What time church start? You're like, I don't know why. Why is he having to say this, right? <laughs> Okay, what happens when church starts? Everybody tell me, what, what typically, what, what would be crazy is if you walked in here next week late and I was preaching already. <laughs> right? 
right? Just come in, you know, it's all about you. Come on in, we're starting, right? And so, so what, what happens as soon as we start church? Worship, which is just what? It's music. Band comes up, minute left, you know, lights start going around and worship starts. And uh, we have 17, 18, 19 minutes of worship. And historically, not just at Journey, but in churches all across America, people spend that first 18 minutes, uh, most people wandering in, right? Getting situated, gotta have some coffee first, looking around, seeing who's in church, what are they wearing today, right? Where's my friends? Okay, maybe the last song, we get in, keep saying, God, that's, that's my, I like that song, that's my jam, right? And so, sing that song, and then sermon starts, and we kind of go through. And week in and week, week out, that, that's what we do. And so I'm gonna show you what the, what the number one position in your life is. And this is really important. When you get into a situation, what position should you carry? Watch what it says in, in 2 Chronicles 20, verse number 18. This is what, they, what, what happened. He heard all this news. We're not going to have to fight, right? Uh, it's going to be God's battle. I'm telling you the same thing. That's not your battle. That's not your, I, want, I want you to hear me. It's not your battle. Like some of you, you're carrying around something that you weren't supposed to carry around, right? You've exhausted all of your power and potential. It's not your battle. You're losing sleep over something that God has in his control. So what do you do when you get to the point when you're like, that's God's. Okay, this isn't my responsibility. This is God's responsibility. I don't know what else to do. Watch what the Bible says. Second Chronicles chapter 20, the Bible says, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Could you imagine that? Some of you freaking out and were like, lift your arms. Could you imagine if I was like, hey, um, this, this is a really bad situation that we're in right now all over this room. Why don't we just go to the one who's in control? Everybody, even if your bad is back, somebody's like, well, I need it, right? What if, what's the last time? This, they're gonna kill me. I'm gonna get dirty. <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you imagine if next service, right, next service, it was time to start and, uh, Doors opened up and everybody's in here laying down. I've seen documentaries. Where's the Kool-Aid, right? What happened in here? <laughs> and all over that country, everyone, young and old, they hear the report of God that he's going to fight that battle. And they just lay out before God. Some of them probably fell asleep. They're like, you, are you supposed to sleep in church? I don't know. I used to. I remember when I was a new pastor and it was way bigger than me. I didn't know what to do. And my, my pastor used to make us have early morning prayer. And I would always go in early morning prayer and I would uh, find a pew to lay under, like under the pew. And I would start off with all this earnest prayer and, and God, I don't know what to do. I got these middle school kids, I got all this stuff. And then I would find myself laying down in God's presence. And before I knew it, I would just be sleeping. And I used to feel bad. And then I started to realize it's because I feel at such peace. I know he's in control. He doesn't need my long prayer. He needs my attitude of submission. This is your go-to. Right? This, this is your go-to. And then I love, I love what it says. They lay, and, and, and then I love this. Then it says some of the Levites uh, stood up. They get up, right? God starts moving. You can feel it. They're all laying there, right? Wake, wake and Steve, Steve, get up, right? We're moving, we're moving. And everybody starts to get up and they got this army coming. They're not even thinking about the army anymore. God's got them. And they all stand up. And I love, I love what it says. And the Bible says they stand up and they praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And everybody tell me, is that, is that a, with a what? With a very what? A what? Listen, next time somebody comes into this place and asks me why it's so loud, why does it gotta be so loud? Because there's just some problems that only God can solve in my life. Can you imagine? Uh, a few, few this week, Phillies played. You guys know that? Phillies played. And so uh, it was good. They, they won, right? They're 3-0. and they, they, they won. They beat the, beat, the, beat the Marlins. Now they beat the Braves last night. It's really exciting. Uh, when they beat, when they beat the, the Marlins the other night, uh, the, the Stout hit a home run, right? And he hit, hit a home run and a grand slam. And they have, they have this, this video that people, I've literally gotten it 1,700 times this week. 
they got this video of, of the fans and they took out the announcer and they just, they just let the fans noise. Did you hear it? And it, you can literally, if you, it, it'll make your car rattle if you listen to it, right? Could you imagine if, uh, if some of the Marlins players were like, can you, can you not be, can you not do that so loud here? Like, I know it's a big deal, but honestly, it's just a ball going over a fence. <laughs> for, a, for a team that even if they win the championship, it's not going to validate you because you're not an athlete, right? And like, it's, like, it's not going to make you, like, it's just, it's just going to be temporary. Like, I want you to think about that. Like, Eagles won a Super Bowl last year. How many of you are still content with that? You're like, they can suck forever. You're like, no. Right? And we get ridiculously loud. And then you come in church, you'll be like, hey, hey, you get, hey, 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 you got to calm that down. Hey. Take somebody's hand, it's put, hey, you're going to put that, that's a little high, right? When I, when I thought we were, I, thought, I didn't know we were like that, and only somebody going to run around here? Maybe. Because yeah, I know there's video of some dude in his boxer shorts running around his house last night when they won, right? And they just get up, and it's just, it's amazing to me, with a very loud voice. Here, here, I thought this to myself. I, I thought, what if we turned down all of the music, all the music and all that, uh, and, and, and on video, they had it on video, and you could just hear the sound of Journey Church uh, 9.30 service worshiping. What would it sound like? Probably like this. Like, what, what would it actually sound like? Is there people screaming? Is there people yelling? Is there people singing out the praises of God? Is there people that don't care about what other people said? They're going to make a joyful noise in the house of God? See, that's your go-to. When you're in a situation that you don't know what else to do, your go-to is to humble yourself before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And with a loud voice, praise and worship Him. No more emails, but how oh, so loud in there. How else you want us to do it? There's a God that's in this room that's alive and he's active and he deserves our loudest praise. What happens if the next time that was your go-to, your go-to position? Here's why I love praise. I love, I love when praise is your go-to position because a couple things it does. It kills pride. The opposite of praise is pride. I, I got this. Praise is God got this. I got this verse. God got this. I, I listened to a sermon this week by a guy, priest on Jarius. He was a synagogue leader. His daughter was dying and he needed Jesus. And up to that point, he would have hated Jesus, right? Because Jesus was not about the synagogue and not about the Pharisees and not about the rules they followed. And so Jesus would have been his enemy until he de deeply and desperately needed Jesus' power. And when he came to Jesus, the Bible says that he bows low and he says, please help me. He gets rid of his pride and when he gets rid of his pride, he attracts the power of God to his home. I love praise because it's the opposite of pride. Let me tell you what else praise does. Praise is powerful. I read this quote this week and it's been sticking with me all week. When we enter God's presence with praise, God will enter our circumstances with power. It's powerful. Let me just tell you one more thing. Praise always involves participation. I started thinking about it. So my, my kids are uh, getting older. I got a 16-year-old. A few years till he graduates. Hopefully at some point the Lord uh, begins to reveal to him, hey, this is what you should do next with your life. And let's just say he goes to college, he gets his four-year degree, and, and uh, he gets his master, and he's accomplished his goals, and we're there as his loving parents, watching him from birth all the way up, right? Going to, if you're a parent, how many graduations have you been to? Let me just, kindergarten first grade oh I forgot preschool you should get an award for that not right and so and then you come and they get a fifth grade graduation right fifth grade and then they get an eighth grade celebration and then they get to a senior by the time they graduate from us you're like we did this 17 times already and then they go to college and for four years you 
figure out how to pay for that and work through that and they, and they make it and they're walking across that stage and as they're walking across that stage and they've accomplished that goal and you're so proud of them, they look out, they announce, they announce his name, Carter Dufresne has graduated and, and he's coming up to get his MD and whatever he's going to do or he's going to make lots of money and, and support me someday and so like, right? And he sees me and his mom in the back and, and, and you know, we're excited but he looks back to us and we just go, And he gets off the stage, and he's like, hey, aren't you guys proud of me? Yeah, we gave you a thumbs up. Did you see us back there? We were super excited. Well, you just did a thumbs up. What does that mean? I don't know what that means, right? Mom, you were on your phone, right? We don't even, well, what, what, what's the natural response to that moment? You did it! Gone, right? You're gone, you're doing it. You're gonna pay for yourself. You're gonna get married. You're gonna have grandbabies. You're gonna do it. And you start clapping, right? And I, and I can't, I mean, we come into church every week, praise, right? It's, it's a participation thing. If you're excited about something, what do you do? You get loud. You worship. I often think to myself, could you imagine if this was actually the attitude that we had together collectively in church week after week after week after week after week? Sometimes I wonder to myself if God is ever going to sit us down in heaven someday and say, hey, we got to talk about something. I noticed you were always on time to that concert. Is that up front? I noticed for the Eagles, you paid a lot of money. You went, you went tailgated. We got to talk about some of the stuff you did there, but you got there really early. I noticed a lot of times for events that seemingly were important to you, but really shallow and empty, you were there early. And then every week for church, you kind of just, you kind of just wandered in and gave me empty, shallow praise, but you, you say I'm, I'm important to you. And I wonder if you know, if you would just come with a different attitude, how much better your life would have been. I wonder if you would have understood that when you, when you praise and you do it in a way that's not prideful, but you give God. I wonder if you would, if, if, like, I wonder how much we miss. I wonder what our services would be. Could you imagine? If this place was filled with emphatic, loud praise. Just so you know what happens. I mean, like, what happens? So they praise and they uh, march down to battle, right? They don't know what's coming. And by the time they get down to battle, the armies that came to fight against them have fought each other and killed themselves. Ah! Like there's times I don't like somebody, right? Just be honest with you. And I think to myself, God, can you just do that? Can you just have them turn and fight each other? And then the Bible says they get down there, they're all dead, and they take their stuff because that's what they would do historically. They would take the plunders of war. It took them three days to gather all that stuff. You know how they ended that? A little bit more worship. It'd be a little easier for me in that moment, right? But they started with worship. That's your go-to position. You invite, you listen, you would go into God's house with praise. You will invite God's power into every circumstance that you have. What if what you're fighting is not your battle? It's not your battle. Just like that. Not my battle, not my fight. What, right? But by the Spirit. Is that what the words are? What's the next word? You know? Uh, remind me. Thank you. I just want to see if you knew, right? <laughs> Would you stand to your feet? Would you bow to close your eyes? Maybe some of you, honestly, uh, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed here in Montgomeryville, maybe you missed this first, this first session of worship. I don't want to call it a session. That's what it is. You're like, ah, oh, man, I missed the first two songs, and I really needed to worship, and you're talking about it, and I, I do. I show up late. Hey, here's the thing. We have another service. You can stay. We'll, we'll, we'll add seats in here. I, I want a church. I just want a church with the desperation for the power of God. I want to be that type of pastor. I can't tell you. I can't tell you how difficult it is to come in here week after week after week and remember that. That we get to be in the power and the presence of God. That he don't have to meet us here. He chooses to. And when you, when you cause yourself to remember that, it changes your whole experience at a church. When you understand that you, literally, you have an audience of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When you call, he'll answer. He's here. So maybe you just, that's, the, that's what you just need to stick around. We got, we got 20 minutes, you get some coffee, wake up. Then we just worship. And here's the thing, you don't have to stay for the sermon. You can sneak out during church news. 
Maybe you just need to worship some more. Maybe you need to find a, a, a quiet, quiet spot in this room and you just need to get, get by yourself and you just need to, to kneel for a second. Maybe when, when everybody leaves, when we, as we have time coming, maybe in old school um, Pentecostal churches, in the front they called that the altar. The altar. And uh, every service at a Pentecostal church was, uh, was ended with the altar time. So sometimes you, you would need something from God or he, and you would just come and you would just kneel in his presence and say, God, I need you. And he'll meet you right here. Maybe you do that at your seat. You just, you just sit in your seat or kneel at your seat and you just ask God to move. Maybe as we've been speaking about this God, what, what you think is, man, it feels like he's a personal uh, God, like, we, like we're supposed to have a relationship with him. And I want you to understand that's exactly what he is. That we, we are not a religious church. I need you to understand that. The world does not need more religion. I'm not trying to teach you a better religion with better rules and better laws and, uh, and, and, uh, and an easier going God. Listen, God is, is pure. God is holy. God is righteous. The Bible says all of us are sinners and we are separated from God. That's what it says. It says the wages of our sin is death and hell. Can I just be real honest with you right now? That there's no such thing as good and bad people. That you're, you're not a good person or a bad person. We're all just messed up people. The wages of our sin is death and hell. But it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For anyone who calls on him shall be saved. What did God do? God sent his one and only son. John 3, 16 tells us this. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He came and he died on a cross for your sins. He sacrificed himself for you. He made a way for you to get back to your creator. He shed his blood. He died the death you should have died. And then he rose in power and it's through him that he defeated both death, sin, and hell. He paid the price. And now you can have a relationship with that God based on grace, love, trust, and hope. He's done everything he can to get back to you. I want you to understand this. He did everything he can. He's reached out his arms to you. You can see it in scripture. He's pursued you, but you need to say yes. I started the sermon saying there's things that God needs you to uh, participate in. Salvation is one of those. He's done all the work, but he asks you to participate by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart, by turning your life away from sin and turning it towards God. That's repentance. And when you do that, when you turn, you meet God, you meet grace, you meet love, you experience hope, you receive mercy, you're filled up with purpose. The Bible says that he promised you a, promises you a place in eternity, a place called heaven, that when you receive Christ, that he writes your name in the Lamb's book of life, that when you take your last breath on this side of eternity, that your next breath is promised to be with him. But it's not because you're good I'm not asking you to change your life. I'm not asking you to follow some rules. It's because he's good. And when you put your life in his hands, he'll begin to do what you can never do on your own. He'll change you. He'll fill you up. He'll heal you. And he'll make you whole. I truly believe that one yes, one yes changes everything about life. I don't know Christ, but I need to. The Bible says that uh, uh, Jesus he says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Would you let me in? I don't know how it feels for you, but I remember how it felt for me. I was 18. It was like a burning in my chest. I just knew it was time to stop running. It was time to put my faith and my life in God's hands. And I've never looked back. It hasn't been easy. I'm certainly not perfect. But from that day forward, I followed him. He's never left me. He's never turned his back on me. He's used my life in ways I can never imagine. He's pulled things out of my life that I didn't even know were in there, but it started with that moment. God is knocking at the door of your heart. Today, I need to respond to Jesus Christ. If that's you, and he's speaking to you, uh, nobody else matters in this moment. Just you and just God. Just you and God. Montgomeryville, just you and God. Even online right now, you're watching. It's just you and it's just God. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, right now in this moment, I'm going to turn my life over to God. I'm going to believe with my heart and I'm going to confess with my mouth. We're going to pray together. Maybe you've never prayed before in your life. I'll pray with you. I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Nobody looking around in this moment. 
I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you come forward. I just want to know we're praying with you. I don't know Christ, but I need to. That's this me. You're talking to me right now. I need a relationship with God. I need his forgiveness. I need his grace. I need his mercy. Today's going to be my day of yes. I'm going to say yes to God. If that's you all over this place, would you just shoot your hand straight towards heaven right now? I don't know Christ, but I need to. I see hands. I see hands. I see hands. Yes. I don't know Christ, but I need to. If you're in Montgomeryville, I don't know Jesus. Hey, Phoenix Hill, would you clap with me for the two people in Montgomeryville? Let's pray something like this all over our house. Say, Jesus Christ, today I stop running. I'm turning my life over to you. From this day forward, you can have control. I know you love me because you died for me. And because you died for me, I can live for you. And so from this day forward, I'm going to follow you. I'm a brand new person. And Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. The Bible says that when you pray in faith, that everything changes. And Lord, I pray right now specifically uh, for those that are uh, fighting something in their life, Lord, that just as clear as it could be, they realize it's not my battle. It's not my fight. So I, I pray that you would, in a mature, maturing way, that you would develop this deep sense of trust in you, that we could be still and know that you're God. And Lord, when we begin to do that, when we begin to trust you, when we stay in the right place, when we keep the right perspective, keep our eyes focused on you, and we continue to walk in the right posture, which is to praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I thank you in advance for the glorious, miraculous way that we're going to see you work. Lord, you're going to open doors only you can open. Lord, you're going to do things only you can do. There's going to be testimony after testimony after testimony where we let you be God in our life and you show up and you show off. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done here today, all you've done in this sermon series. We have a world needs hope. Lord, we can't take the world anything we don't have. And so would you develop a deep-rooted uh, a spiritual maturity? As Scripture says, would we be good soil where the gospel is deeply rooted in our lives, Lord, and it produces a crop of thousands of lives. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you as we go back into this world that we are the light that this world needs. We're the hope that this world needs. We're the love that this world needs because you live in us and you move through us. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for that. We thank you for all that you've done. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. Let your presence never get old. In Jesus' name we pray all over this house. Would you shout amen? amen. Let's clap together one more time. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.